Hello and welcome to the Parish Podcast of St. Anthony of Padua Catholic Church in the Woodlands, Texas. We're excited to share with you Sunday at St. Anthony's, a homily message from this past weekend that we hope you'll find enlightening. Thanks for tuning in and praying with us. Jesus said to his disciples, A rich man had a steward who was reported to him for squandering his property. He summoned him and said, What is this I hear about you? Prepare a full account of your stewardship, because you can no longer be my steward. The steward said to himself, What shall I do now that my master is taking the the position of steward away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I know what I should do, so that when I am removed from that stewardship, they may welcome me into their homes. He called in his master's debtors one by one. To the first he said, How much do you owe my master? He replied, One hundred measures of olive oil. He said to him, Here's your promissory note. Sit down and quickly write one for 50. Then to another, the steward said, And you, how much do you owe? He replied, 100 cores of wheat. The steward said to him, Here's your promissory note. Write one for 80. And the master commended the dishonest steward for acting prudently, for the children of this world are more prudent in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. I tell you, make friends for yourselves with dishonest wealth, so that when it fails, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The person who is trustworthy in very small matters is also trustworthy in great ones, and the person who is dishonest in very small matters is also dishonest in great ones. If, therefore, you are not trustworthy with dishonest wealth, who will trust you with true wealth? If you are not trustworthy with what belongs to another, who will give you what is yours? No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So my question for the morning is simply, how late can I get to Mass and still fulfill my Sunday obligation? And this question comes up each week, and it's often accompanied by a similar question, which is, how soon can I leave Mass and still fulfill my Sunday obligation? Do I have to stay for the final blessing? Do I have to wait for the choir to stop singing? Is it even necessary to receive communion to fulfill my Sunday obligation? And though these questions come up from time to time, there is a little bit, they're a little bit silly to begin with because the question is itself a deception. When I was a teenager, it was quite common for many of us to sit outside on the church steps and enjoy a cigarette as mass began. There was this idea that we could miss the first prayers and readings because they didn't really matter all that much as long as we were in our seats 
before the end of the gospel. And this doesn't mean we actually listened to the gospel. We just had to be present before the final words were spoken. We were not there out of love for God or neighbor, but to check a box so we don't go to hell. The fulfillment of my Sunday obligation has less to do with how long I'm sitting in the pews versus what is actually happening in my heart. In fact, one might argue that someone could sit at Mass for the full 60 minutes and never once enter the mysteries at hand, invalidating any potential benefit of being there in the first place. At the same time, there can be circumstances which justify being late to Mass, yet it is still a faith-filled and Christ-centered experience. Nevertheless, if you find that you're going to miss much of Mass, please, by all means, go to another one. And we can look at this question from a larger perspective, which is, how can I get into heaven and spend as little time as possible on church property? Again, this is somewhat of a silly question because our salvation is not linked to how much time we spend on church property, but to the attitude and reason why we're there in the first place. The minimalist idea of just scraping by only leads to failure. Ask any husband how long his marriage will last if the goal is to see how long he can go without kissing his wife. When it comes to the Super Bowl, no team ever tries to defeat the opponent with the lowest score possible. We want a crushing defeat to assure our victory. Too often in the final seconds of a close game, momentum shifts and the presumed winner fails to achieve victory. The same thing is true of heaven. Minimalism never works anywhere in the world, but for some reason we often think it works with God. If the goal is to scrape by, we're not going to make the cut. The deception is that we come to Mass very often thinking that we can ingratiate ourselves with God by our mere presence, as if we're doing Him a favor, while at the same time hold on to our little attachments, those sweet little sins we like so much, such as enjoying that last cigarette during the first 15 minutes of Mass. But what God wants from us is not merely our presence, but our love. The presence or absence of love can make 15 minutes feel like an hour of passion or an hour of hell. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon refers to all the good things that come from God, such as joy, peace, health, beauty, and security. Even our material goods, our cars, our homes, our jobs. But like so many people, we very often want the goods, not God, who gives them to us. The question is, what do I have in my heart? Is it love for the creator or love for the creature? If I love God first, I will love creatures properly and benefit from them. If I love creatures first, there will be no room in my heart for God and I will find only sadness. Love for the creature always leads to excuses for why I can't do this, I can't do that. I'm not available to help my neighbor in need. 
Some falsely believe that the saints are bland, spineless figures, while the sinners are the ones who experience the true passion and burning love. This couldn't be further from the truth. Love for God drives us towards excellence, magnanimity, and extraordinary acts of zealous love, while love for the world leads to excuses, self-centeredness, cowardice, and infidelity. Love for God leads us to do what is in the interest of others, and oftentimes to do what is impossible. In the gospel, the steward's success and praise by the rich man ultimately comes down to how the steward treated his neighbors. By zealously administering the rich man's wealth, the steward secured favor for the debtors and praise from the rich man. He was prepared to go to great lengths to secure his future. But it's not simply about money, but using all the gifts that God has given me for the benefit of my neighbors zealously. God desires the salvation of all men and women, and some are directly linked to my personal efforts for their salvation. This often includes, or this always includes, those that are hardest for me to deal with. A relative of mine once asked me why God would allow her to marry a man for many years, have several children with him, only to end up divorced while he runs off to live the high life. I reminded her that despite the outcome of that marriage, it is very possible that God brought him to her for a period of time so that she would pray for him and secure his salvation. If she doesn't pray for him, it's very likely that no one will. The circumstances were tragic, but she did go on to remarry, has a happy life, and was able to find purpose for her sufferings. The tears of those who suffer tragedies are like gold in the hands of God that can be used to purchase the salvation of lost causes. How much more does God bless those who generously give of their time and resources to serve the poor and the church as catechists, teachers, or ministers? It's not the job that matters, nor the amount of time spent in service, but the spirit with which it is performed because it is love that saves. When we find the saint praying, praying for the sinner, we often find that the saint needs the sinner just as much as the sinner needs the saint. Their salvation goes hand in hand. No saint ever arrives to heaven empty-handed, but brings others with him. No sinner makes it to heaven without the tears and prayers of those who love him. So why does God give us all the good things we enjoy each day, if not to make us administrators of his fortune for the benefit of others? The idea is that if we can be taught to, to love as he loves and to give as he gives, we will enjoy a happy eternity with God in heaven, plus all the other tre treasures we've given away to others. It's not a matter of how much we have been given to administer, but who has benefited from it. St. Anthony of Padua.